The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. <laughs> I got off to a really great start and realized my microphone was off. So gremlins creep in at any time. But we always talk about technology. It never ceases to drive you crazy when you least expect it. But here we are. Talking Tech once again on a Thursday right here on KFM. And a lot of new stuff. This is really the busy time of the year from the Apple launch, which happened last week. Um, we'll talk a lot about that during Tech Talk Cafe, give you some advice on what I feel is happening and hopefully get to play with the new iPhones shortly. But uh, that assistant called Alexa. I mean, because there seems to be some strange noises on the line today. But anyway, let's not forget about Alexa. Alexa is not a product that's been very, very big in South Africa. A lot of people use the voice assistants from Apple, Siri, or the, the assistant under Google. And for the most part, they're pretty dumb, to be really honest. You can get simple stuff done. You can ask for simple things. But having a conversation with a... A bot has always sort of eluded the human test for a large extent. But this week, Amazon, who are no slouch in the this space, and in fact, I think for some cases, Alexa was one of the smartest of the chatbots. You could always ask to play music, find you anything on the Amazon web store, and hold the space. Amazon are coming to South Africa. They will be retailing fairly shortly. And that will shake up the space enormously because the sheer ease, frictionless use is still groundbreaking and sort of industry setting within the, the online retail space. And a lot of companies have tried, but very few do it quite as well as Amazon. But anyway, the newest um, update that's coming shortly from Alexa is basically using generative AI, something we've spoken about a lot you know, with the open AI and the BARD and all these sort of chat GPT type stuff that you've been typing into your computer of late. Well, they're bringing that to voice. I felt that that would be the next evolution. I think I've even spoken about it. But the evolution is around the corner. And what I watched on the new Amazon demo on Alexa, they've launched a new product called Let's Chat. And exactly as it says, um, their, their representative, who's got a rather interesting name of Limp, Mr. Limp, uh, proceeded to demonstrate a conversation he had with Alexa online, and it was pretty, pretty human-like. It was almost amazing that he could have this full-on con conversation with Alexa, and it is brilliant for a couple of reasons. One, it's contextual, so you don't have to keep reminding it. Right now, a lot of these assistants, you have to keep telling it what to do, and you have to keep asking the same question in slightly different ways. Well, now Alexa remembers where you were, what your context was, and like a human being, you can continue to ask questions about something without referring to that something down the road. So it really worked extremely well. And an added wrinkle to that is if you use Amazon for whatever, for music, for um, shopping, if you've watched any games on Amazon Prime, uh, sports games, the new Alexa will remember all that stuff with your permission, of course. And no. So if you say, can I watch the next rugby match? It'll know you want to watch the box or whoever that it is that you want to watch. 
So these systems learn and continue to learn, and your favorite football team, your favorite rugby team, your favorite tennis player, and you can ask um, for all sorts of stuff. And part of this was the launch of all their new products, which again have not been huge in South Africa, but with the imminent launch of the the Amazon store coming, I think we're going to see a lot more. So, for example, the, the Echo Show, it is essentially a smart assistant with a speaker and a screen, all in one little compact unit, pretty well priced in U.S. dollars at around about 150 U.S. dollars. It's going to be over over nearly 4,000 rand in South Africa, but that's another conversation for another time. But it learns your voice um, shows you information directly on the screen, but you can have Alexa on your TV, you can have Alexa on your smartphone, you can have Alexa on iPhone or Android, it doesn't really matter. And you can use it for so many different things. They also launched new Echo Frames, which look pretty cool, they look like real glasses, they can last, what, up to eight, nine hours, and play, take calls, play music, give you all sorts of little information, Bit expensive. Those are going to start at $270. So I think those are going to be a little bit out of most people's sort of space for the moment. But who knows? It's going there. Sound bars and a new Fire TV, which is going to be a big deal. I've been using a Fire TV for a while. It was a bit useless in terms of Alexa because Alexa wasn't localized, and I expect that to improve dramatically over the next short while. So watch the space. I think we're going to see a lot more from Amazon, a lot more using voice for natural um, speech, using the type of chat GPT ethos or, or systems in the back end. So speech will become more natural. The search results will become much more complicated and much more nuanced, which that is the key to all these type of things. You get a lot more information that is contextually accurate and appropriate for what you're looking for. And also, you can refine using standard natural language, which is a huge uh, time saver and uh, effort saver. You can do all sorts of searches, not just online shopping, not just through your music library, not through the video library that live brings you, but you should be able to do fairly broad and wide conversations that give you so much information, recipes, you name it. It's actually irrelevant what you want to know. But instead of sitting and typing or picking away on your screen, on your on your mobile phone or on your computer, you simply use the – I'm going to say it now because my phone will respond. But you use those terms to call up your voice assistant in your various devices, and there you go. You'll be able to talk as much as you want. And on that note, with AI, BARD, which is – Google's new, um, sort of smart assistant and ChatGPT clone is now getting connectors, which will allow Bard to use your maps, your Gmail data, and all sorts of other data that you have within the Google ecosystem. So you use Google Docs, it can find information, and this is coming really soon. So, for example, if you're planning, planning a trip to Cape Town, you can ask Bard to grab the dates that work for everyone in your calendar, in your Gmail. Look up real-time flights and hotel and, and tour operator information, and then use Google Maps to give you directions to the uh, airport and even ask it to call up a whole chunk of YouTube videos of things to do or what to expect, and you can do that all with one conversation. Again, at the moment, it's pretty much typed, though voice is pretty good 
on um, Google. So it's moving more and more to the point where you are going to have an electronic assistant. Just like science fiction, you're going to be sitting with an electronic assistant in your your pocket, um, in your home with a little speaker or device, and it's starting to feel more and more like the Jetsons as we get along. The only thing I'm waiting for right now is flying cars, but uh, let's see when that comes. Electric cars are a big deal. I uh, wanted to just mention that Toyota made a big announcement this week, and what's happening with with the problem with EV batteries or electric vehicle batteries is that mostly the ranges in perfect conditions are hugely overstated. They all say 500 kilometers, 700 kilometers, you name it. But in real life, you're getting between 300 and 500 tops from most electric vehicles. Some a bit better, some a little worse, but generally you're in that range. And in a country like South Africa, Australia, America, places where there are huge distances and it's not very urban, those distances, while not really problematic, certainly make long-distance trips and electric vehicles a little bit challenging in most cases because the the power and the charging infrastructure is maybe not as good as compact places like Europe. But Toyota released some new solid-state batteries that promise by 2027 up to and over a thousand kilometers on one charge and 10 to 80 percent charge on those batteries within 10 minutes. So if you stop at one of the superchargers, plug in your EV, 10 minutes later, cup of tea, a little stretch of the legs, and you're at 80 percent and you're on the road. And 80 percent of a thousand Ks, you know, my maths is pretty sharp, is 800 Ks. And there are very few trips that you can comfortably travel 800 Ks in one shot. So Wherever you go, you'll probably stop. But once you've got that comfort and you've got that safety net in terms of power, I think it really changes it. Whether we like it or not, electric vehicles, car, electric cars are absolutely going to become the dominant car in the next couple of years. And South Africa cannot avoid it. It might take a little bit of time. It might, you know, take some, some adjustment. But the petrol or, or diesel car is on its way out and trucks, no question about that. And in the next 20 years, which is, sounds like a long time, but it's not. It's a very short time scale from 2030 onwards, which is seven years away. Pretty much will be the only cars that you can buy on the market. And no question that no matter what anyone says, Africa and the more far, far flung regions with lots of distance and lots of challenges, are going to have to um, come along and have the necessary equipment and everything that we need. So on that note, we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving on to the large announcement last week where Apple traditionally in the September time frame launched a new iPhone, and this year was absolutely no different. The brand new iPhone 15 has been launched and will go on sale globally this Friday, tomorrow. And South Africa, the good news, the following Friday, the 29th, hardly any delay. There's a lot to be read into that. One, South Africa has become almost a tier one market for iPhone. Very important. And we don't have to wait weeks and weeks and weeks while the rest of the world gets the phone and we have to sort of watch Inversely, as everything comes out, but also that I think that global demand for phones has reduced somewhat, 
And there definitely seems to be a lot more competition in the market. So Apple are really gearing up to get their product in as many hands as possible without any delay. Android phones have come a huge way. Chinese phones in South Africa certainly have shot up the, the charts in terms of availability, style, capability, and price. So the competition in smartphone has become incredibly tough for everybody. But Apple, in their own inimitable style, again, control the entire stack from software to hardware to software to services to everything that you would possibly need from a technology ecosystem. And the only area where they seem to be a little bit uh, delayed, but that again is an Apple thing, they wait until the bugs are ironed out in that generative AI or smart AI. Siri is still probably the dumbest in the class at the moment, although it's improving. So, so much change is happening within the technology space. Obviously, the hot topic is AI or generative AI with all the chatbots and, and you know, all that sort of stuff. So, we really are seeing a pretty transformative software space. And along comes the device that obviously you need to use all this cool software and access all these magnificent new platforms and do all the things that you do. And the latest version, which is the iPhone 50, 15, is now out and it's official. And my take and pretty much the take of the industry is that this is a bit of an S release. So from the 14, which introduced some pretty large changes into the overall iPhone space, the 15 has refined and trickled down certain uh, things from the 14 into the standard 15, the aluminium 15, if you want to call it that. And there's not been a lot of significant changes. But that being said, I do believe we are firmly in the midpoint of the technology revolution and the days of spectacular upgrades and fantastic changes are somewhat behind us. We're not going to see that for the next couple of years. But then again, what do I know? I've constantly been surprised in the technology space when things pop out. Uh, AI came out of nowhere, six, seven, well, it's now nine months old, and it has completely revolutionized everything. We're going to find AI in our word processors, in, in our um, everything that we do online. It's going to have some sort of smart AI in our spell checkers. So you name it, uh, that has been a significant revolution. But hardware has taken a much slower, more mature pace. And just to quickly round up what is coming, the iPhone 15 comes in two different variants, the standard and the pro. The standard is an aluminum-bodied, high-quality device that's not going to be cheap. It fits in really much at the high end. There is no smaller device at the moment. The three, the, the three significant changes which make it quite a compelling deal is USB-C charging is now standard across the range. Due to the pressure from the European Union, they have forced Apple to rethink their proprietary connector and to use USB-C. It's not that simple. The iPhone 15 uses USB 2 and the iPhone 15 Pro uses USB 3, which gives it higher bandwidth, greater speed uh, on transfer. And possibly that's a, a, a game change of certain semi-pro users. But for the rest of us, it will make our lives a lot easier. Unfortunately, 
One of the downside of USB-C is not all cables are made equally. So, for example, you'll find a lot of the cheaper cables do not charge effectively or they charge so slowly that it really is a pain or they transfer data so poorly that things don't work as you expect them to. So don't expect every single cable that you can find with a USB-C connect- connector will charge or work with an iPhone as simply as that. That being said, Apple have been using USB-C on all their laptops, all their tablets for quite a few years now, and now it's available on um, the phone and will make your life a lot easier. So if you're at a friend who's an Android fan and you need a charge before it was too bad, you're an Apple user, we can't help you. Now you can. You just plug it in and use it, and off you go. It will charge, maybe not as effectively sometimes, but essentially there will be a lot less cable confusion and a lot less hassle around charging and using a uh, smartphone, which is great. The other big introduction on the iPhone 15 is the Dynamic Island. I've been using it on the iPhone 14 Pro, which was it was only available for a year, and I've found it to be a really slick addition to the interface. So much information pops up there, so when you're in an Uber ride, that information sits in the dynamic island and pops up and gives you all sorts of stuff without interfering in your screen much, and that is now standard across the iPhone 15 range, and just for that feature, it's almost worth upgrading a 14 to a 15, but we'll get to the upgradability down the way. There's also got a brand new um, AV detector, a uh, decoder, not detector, oops, on the on the Pro models, and the 48 megapixel camera from the 14 Pro last year is now available on the iPhone 15, the standard one, and the prices haven't changed. I haven't South African pricing hasn't been launched or released. The RAND has not exactly been a stellar performance, so expect these to be as expensive, if not more so, than last year. I predict the prices are going to go up somewhere in the region of 10%, making all iPhones extremely in the 20 to 35,000 RAND range. It's going to be an expensive um, upgrade. But overall, everything that I can see with regard to the iPhone 15 standard, better cameras, faster processor, Better quality screen, higher brightness, which is quite important. Nice new colors and finishes, which are quite cool. Pricing in U.S. dollars, similar, exactly the same as last year. South African Rand's going to go up a little. And if you have an iPhone 12, 13, 11, 12, 13, the 15 standard, not the Pro, is a no-brainer upgrade. It's as simple as that. It has features, power, quality Obviously running the latest version of iOS 17, which launched on the um, 18th, which you should have if you haven't downloaded it. I would highly recommend you do. Just one little caveat. There's always, every time there's an upgrade to a new operating system, people complain that something breaks. It happens, and the battery life goes to pieces, and that's normal. Interestingly, it takes any new operating system a day or two to re-index everything, settle down. So the first day or two that you use your iPhone after an upgrade from 16 to 17 will probably have poor battery life. But thereafter, it will settle down quite well. And I've had absolutely no problem with iOS 17 battery life. But I have been on the beta for quite a few um, months. And... It really is, I think, slightly better than iOS 16. But don't be afraid. It's certainly a very clean, simple upgrade. And there haven't been any real problems that I've seen 
or experienced or read about within the ecosystem that would stop you from doing an, uh, an upgrade. So really well worthwhile because you cannot upgrade your watch to OS to watch OS 10, which is really cool. I'll talk to I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, unless you have iOS 17 on your iPhone. So give it a shot. I think that's really a great, great, great way to go. The biggest changes now are in the iPhone Pro models. The previous Pro models were stainless steel and pretty chunky. Um, they, they definitely, you could feel the heft and the weight of a solid stainless steel um, phone, and it sort of in your pocket felt a bit bricky, and that was the downside. The upside was the quality, the, the, the high-quality screen, which is adjustable in terms of refresh rate, better for battery life, better for scrolling when it's up and running. But now they've changed the body to titanium, aerospace-grade titanium, which theoretically is tougher and uh, hardier and much lighter than stainless steel. And all the reports, I haven't touched one yet, unfortunately, I have to wait till it, it launches. But all the reports, are, although on paper it's not much lighter, the overall heft seems to be significantly less than the stainless steel. And the internal parts are aluminium, which gives a better um Better ability to, to, to manage heat. The batteries have gone up across the range, so battery life should improve a little. And the Pro models come in a couple of really cool new colors, white, black, blue, and natural, natural titanium. They look really nice. Obviously, blue's my preference. That's the one I'll probably land up getting. And the screens are much brighter, up to 2,000 nits, which is pretty extreme. In bright light, um, it, it will be an Obvious upgrade. You'll see much more. It'll be much easier to see in bright light. But more than that, the screens themselves can switch all the way down to one nit at night. So they can be really dim and yet still very clear. So the screens really do seem to be far better on the, on the standard 15 at 6.1 inches, on the pro at 6.7 inches. And in both ranges, there's both those sizes, uh, either in, and the max as well as before. So, all phones now have the dynamic island, and all phones come with upgraded cameras. The iPhone 15 Pro cameras, again, are a slightly interesting change. The, in the 14 Pro, the cameras were identical across the Max and the Pro. Now the Max gets a five times optical zoom, which gives a little bit more um, zooming power, and a, and, and a much upgraded processor which this is the key thing in the pros. It's now got the 17 processor, gives it a lot more power for gaming. Gaming's your thing. Or for, for camera production stuff. There's going to be a lot of interesting stuff coming from, from the camera over the next little while. Some of the, some of the capabilities will only be added in due course. But the other big change in the pro range is they're no longer available in a 128 gig Version, so you can't get the lower end, which did save a little bit of cost. The entry level will be 256 gig at the same price as last year, but it does represent a, a, a step up in pricing of the pro range simply because you cannot get a cheaper pro. But for the most part, I would say that the iPhone 15 for 99% of people is more than good enough. You get great cameras, you get a light body, which is aluminium, obviously user case. They all have the same ultra-hard screens. 
I'm not a big fan of screen protectors. They always seem to break very easily. They always seem to peel off when you don't want them to. But use them or don't. That's entirely your preference. But the new screens from, from Apple are incredibly tough. Short of a catastrophic drop, they're pretty good at not getting scratched or nicked or they handle most of the drops really well. But screens are a, a whole nother story. The other big benefit coming on the new iPhone Pro is its repairability. The cost of replacing the back screen, the back glass, used to be enormously expensive because it was integrated into the, into the frame. They've redesigned that so it's a lot easier to repair and a lot cheaper to repair should you have the unfortunate accident of breaking your brand new shiny iPhone. Again, they've increased the top-end range of, of memory, so you go all the way up to one terabyte, which is going to cost stupid money. But my sense, if you've got a 14 Pro or even a 13 Pro, the step up to a 15 Pro is somewhat incremental. You've got the new USB-C connector. You've got slightly better cameras with greater zoom. You've got a much faster processor that will give much greater gaming speed. And with time, will give you the ability to run more and more complex programs, certainly with generative AI and other AI-type stuff coming along pretty quickly. You're going to need all the processing power that you can get. But these new 3.5 nanometer processors can certainly run <laughs> faster than most laptop chips of a year or two ago. So you've got a tiny portable phone that can run for a day and a half that uh, fits neatly into your pocket, now a lot less heavy, and um, outperform a laptop from a couple of years ago. So technology has come a long way. Even though it's been incremental and solidly bit by bit, there's just no question that the Pro Max, the iPhone 15 Pro Max, really has the best camera, probably the best processor on the market, an innovative, super light and ultra hard body, which should withstand all sorts of interesting knocks and bumps of life. But for me, a case and a screen cover might still be useful. That being said, uh, the new iPhone 15 is is a good release. It's certainly, as they love to say at Apple, the best iPhones they've ever released which sort of goes without saying. But they've done some significant improvements. They've talked about sustainability, which is a hot topic. They showed a rather cringeworthy movie with Mother Earth about how they're saving the planet, which I've never been a big ascriber to. However, I do believe that sustainability and smart use of, of aluminium and not wiping out the resources of the Earth is just Good business sense. It just makes sense. And Apple are doing their best to stay hot on that. But it again showed that there was not a lot of technology to talk about. There was certainly not much they could say in that space because a lot of the changes are very incremental. But for the iPhone aficionados, for those that are really keen on the latest and the greatest, the new iPhone 15 sets the trend. Obviously, Samsung will come out with the S25 um, or S24 now next year. And I'm sure it's also going to be revolutionary with the latest processes, the latest screens, the latest bodies, etc., etc. There is a lot of rambling on about Huawei and their 5G phone. Fantastic. Still no Google, so really does not help the average user to have a fully, you know, immersive and integrated experience with what's possible in the Western world. So nothing iterative, nothing revolutionary 
tons of iterative improvement. And I think a very muted response globally to to the iPhone 15 launch. I don't see anything crazy. I don't expect massive lines outside waiting. But it is the greatest, shiniest, and really smartest phone that they've had. The dynamic island across the whole range is great. They've refined it slightly. There's a lot of improvements in iOS 17, which you can get on your on pretty much every iPhone all the way back to the 9 and the 10. I think the 9, the iPhone 9 does have some problems with certain things. But remember, that is a five-year-old phone, something that not many people play around with, even though Apple are pretty good at upgrading the software. So on that note, we'll break for our sponsors, and then we'll be back with an interesting gadget. I didn't even mention the the new watches, unfortunately. There is a whole new range of watches coming as well, but I will speak to them in my new review straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And my gadget of the week is something I've played with now for a, for a short period of time. Unfortunately, I haven't had it for long. And that is the new Garmin Epix Pro Generation 2 Smart or, or Sports Watch. Top of the line from, from Garmin. It's an outdoor watch. It's focused very strongly on activity. It is a smart watch. You can get notifications. But it is not an Apple Watch or a Google Watch or something like that. It is really something something that I think Garmin have created a bit of a a separate space for. It is an activity watch that's literally anyone who's an outdoor person spends a lot of time in sports, riding, cycling, hiking, mountain climbing, even diving for that matter would probably find to be the most convincing sports watch out there. 14-day battery life, even longer, depending if you can do certain things. But there's just no question that Garmin have got a long, long history in creating smart, personal-type assistant watches that are focused incredibly carefully on sports and, and tracking sports activity and all the metrics around it, as well as one secret source, Garmin, the map people. They have got all the off-road, off-site, other mapping stuff that's available live on the watch, which in many cases is not the case for um, other watches. And, of course, the most sort of spoken about comparison is the Apple Watch Ultra. So I'll diverge slightly from my review of the Garmin, to talk about the new Apple Watch Series 9. And if the app, if the iPhone 15 was a little bit of a underwhelming upgrade, the Series 9 is, is more underwhelming in terms of absolute improvements and, and changes. In fact, they would be essentially unrecognizable in terms of changes. Both the standard Apple Watch, the 41, 45, and, uh, and, and the Ultra series look identical. What has changed? Okay, is, I found this on the web for the Series Nine is more underwhelming. <laughs> and Siri is listening to me again. It just does not go away. What can I say? But compared to the Series Eight, the size and the designs are identical. They're available in the standard colors: black, silver, red, white, and and a new option, pink, if you're keen on that. 
The only change really, it's a brand new chip since the Series 6. So non-incremental change, but a brand new internal chip, which is up to 30% faster, which does make a, a big difference. And the battery life has improved from around about 16, 15 hours to 18 hours. Not a huge change, but a little bit better. And the prices haven't changed. So in combination with um, Watch OS 10, it is a really nice watch. And if you're in the market for a watch, that's well worth a smartwatch. It's well worth looking at, obviously, the standard ones available in aluminium and stainless steel. And the pricing is is pretty expensive, as in the usual way. One of the cool little features they showed was the double tap with your fingers. The new processor has enough capacity to start learning tiny micro gestures and you can open open apps, you can select what it does, you can answer calls, you can end calls just by tapping your fingers. Very science fiction-y, though there is a way using accessibility features to do the same with your older watches. So really not a big deal. And I think that goes to the point there were a lot of there was a lot of hype and a lot of expectations around the the Apple Watch Ultra. There was a diving computer which I've yet to see and so many features that they promised along with extended battery life but not extended in the same way as Garmin has managed. We're talking two day battery life usage because it's a big phone, bigger battery. But its integration with the Apple ecosystem is great and it works like a really cool Apple Watch with everything that Apple has to show. And I have no complaints about the Apple Watch Ultra. But using the Garmin, which looks much more like a standard watch, much more like a a rugged, useful, normal-type watch, you realize that when it comes to sports, when it comes to being super active, when it comes to getting information that can truly improve your athletic performance or make your, uh, your ability to do stuff in the outdoors, in hiking. I mean, for example, it has a one-push LED torch that is built in with either a flashing red light or a white light so you can find people in the dark. It's just a little touch that really does make it um, very useful. It comes preloaded with all the sports, soccer, horseback riding, this ice skating, and all sorts of interesting uh, sports, which again, some of those are, most of those are available with the Apple Watch as well. But it's the information, the way the information is um, surfaced and some of the data around your health, the way it's integrated into the various apps is pretty incredible. And I found that I'm not doing a lot of hiking and I'm certainly not doing a lot of water sport and I'm not surfing and running around at the moment. We all wait for the weather to improve before that happens. But I do find that just going to gym and generally playing squash and things like that, the information and the ability to manage your your health data is exceptionally good on the Garmin. And 14-day battery life is a game changer. You forget to charge it, and it goes weeks and weeks without you even thinking about it, and it keeps going. The mapping is really, really cool, easy, fast, very, very slick to use, and very accurate, so you can find your way using the watch on a bike, and I've done that, and it works extremely well. So overall, um, it is, and especially if you don't use iPhone, if you, you know, the, the Apple Watch is brilliant, but it works only with Apple devices, whereas this device works with iPhone pretty well. You can see all, you can get all your notifications. 
Some of the healthcare stuff doesn't quite integrate with Apple Health in quite the same way. There's a few little sort of, not glitches, I think that's a, a rough word, but a little less smoothness in the way that it integrates and updates certain of the Apple key core health apps. But the overall information that you get off the Garmin with the Garmin app is pretty extensive and really makes a huge difference. So if you do a lot of sport and you love to spend time outdoors or and you do want to check your smartphone notifications and pay, there's even a Garmin Pay on there so you can do all the payment stuff. And if you have an Android phone, there's a no-brainer. The Garmin device is probably the best sports smartwatch on the planet right now until the next one comes. And they are cheaper, they are simpler, but when you can see the depth and the polish of Garmin in almost every aspect of the watch. It's got a sapphire crystal glass, takes a, it's pretty rugged. It's got a titanium navigation ring on top and in the back. In between is a composite. It's easy to repair. It's got great support in South Africa and pretty much anywhere in the world that you go. And it is an incredibly easy to use rugged, rugged device and because of its lightness it's easy to wear the straps are interchangeable comes with a really nice rubber strap and i must say i've been incredibly impressed by the the look the feel and because of its standard watchiness it doesn't it's not as noticeable as as other smartwatches also what i found really good was its ability to use multiple satellite support so the gps built-in is exceptionally good when you're in a very built-up area it just keeps finding satellites. You don't get odd glitches using the maps, which I must say Apple Watch is pretty good as well. Not much happening there. But it used to be a major problem with some of the watches that it just somehow lost you or lost you enough. And if you're on a hike or a trail, you can't have a situation where you're a couple of 10, even 20 meters off. You need to be right where you need to be. And the new technology that they, it's called Sat IQ. It toggles automatically between the different kinds of satellite support based on where you are and what you're doing. It is pretty exceptional. I never, I've not yet once found a situation where it didn't locate me precisely and do everything that it needs to do. So on that note, um, I'm afraid we have to have another quick break for our sponsors, but I'll be back to wrap up my Garmin review and uh, a last little heads up and caution around eSIM straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And just a quick wrap-up. iPhone, The iPhone 15, it's out. It's, it's available. It will be in store by next week. Pricing to be announced, but I think it's going to be similar, if not more expensive than it was last year, along with a new Apple Watch. If you've got... Anywhere between two to three year old iPhones and it's time for an upgrade, the 15 will be a no brainer. Great device, both the pro and the standard. All the latest technology, latest operating system, and it will bring everything that you need for another couple of year, years of happy iPhone use. If you've got a 13 or a 14, maybe not. Not yet. Apparently there are going to be some big changes in the 16, but those are the rumors. You know, that happened every single year. The watch, I must admit, unless you really have an older watch, I don't believe there's any reason to upgrade, whether you've got a 7, 8, or 9. 
seven or eight or six maybe, but seven or eight, no, I don't think there's going to be any major improvement. And if you're looking for a sports-related watch and you're extremely active and you want something that looks good, brilliantly built, similar price to the top-end um, Apple watches, so it's not a price thing, but certainly has the edge in terms of health tracking, sports tracking, off-road tracking, and everything else that Garmin do so exceptionally well, I would highly recommend that you look at the new, it's, I've been out a short while, but the new Garmin Epix Pro Generation 2. There was an Epix Pro last year, which was good, but not quite as good as this one, and the pricing wasn't that different, so I would certainly go for the Epix Pro Gen 2. And that makes a lot of sense, and it's just a great addition to the, the Apple Watches, it's got the screen is AMOLED, super bright, easy to see, proper, tough and, bu- and durable, incredible satellite support, and it measures everything you can think of in health, and then add some more. You've got NFC payments, you've got music, there's absolutely nothing that this watch can do. In fact, I got to the point where I was a little overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information, and it does lack that Apple slickness and coolness which you start to get used to after a very short while. But on that note, I have one huge little, it's not even a rant, but both MTN and Vodacom have finally got on to the eSIM bandwagon. And eSIMs certainly in the light of all these new phones and traveling and the ease of use and, and everything and the promise of eSIM, it can be provisioned via a QR code that can be sent to you any which way you like. It's simple, it's slick, and it's easy to deal with. And often, if you lose your phone, to get a new SIM should be simple. But what both MTN and Vodacom have done, and it's available on prepaid and postpaid, is they force you to go into store to physically get a QR code in order to change your eSIM. Now, I understand Rika and Fika and all that good stuff that needs to be done within the South African context, but they've missed an enormous trick to allow people to upgrade their current SIM to and they're already recut or fecut, whatever, um, to upgrade their current SIM to an eSIM for, for whatever reason. They also make it incredibly difficult for people who are traveling to, to the country to just pick up an eSIM before they get here. And that allows Arello and so many other people the opportunity to just keep selling their online eSIM. So if you look at the Arello or one of the other eSIM providers globally, the experience is so simple, so slick. It's all online. They, they follow all the necessary legislation. But if you go to the MTN website, there's zero information. You have to go in-store to do everything, which completely, for me, wastes everyone's time. And it's actually easier just to keep a physical sim going. So I think there needs to be a lot of change in that space. I think they need to understand and grasp the ability of the technology to do things that make life more convenient, easier, and simpler. And if you want an eSIM, you should be able to do it. There's nothing in the app, both on Vodacom or um, MTN, to allow you to switch. And after all, they'll still take your money every month. They'll still pretend you're a valued customer. But then they'll force you to get in your car, go to a shopping center, and um, sit in a store in a long line to get something as simple as an eSIM, which they could essentially WhatsApp you. So <laughs> on that note, I'm afraid our time is over. Let's chat again very shortly with all the latest gizmos and gadgets. This is Stephen Ambrose on High FM for Tech Talk.